today up at the market, you can't help but notice the National Enquirer. If you want to know what's going on with a formerly royal couple, well, that's the place for you. In the pages of that periodical, you can learn about the personal behavior of any number of people you don't really know. It's probably fair to say that the pages are filled with human sin, misbehavior, and weakness. And who doesn't like reading about that? My grandma used to have a subscription. Well, you know, back in the 4th century, there was no National Enquirer. Instead, the Romans had St. Augustine's Confessions. But like the Enquirer, Augustine was willing to let it all hang out. Here's the dirty dish on his mom, St. Monica. That's it. Turn the volume down and lean in closer because you're about to learn some shocking truths about so-called St. Monica. Here's what her son said. Something had stealthily snared your handmaid, Monica, as she herself told me, her son, a furtive fondness for wine. For whenever, in accord with custom, her parents sent this responsible daughter of theirs to draw wine from the cask by dipping a cup in through an opening near the head, she would take a tiny sip by brushing it with her lips before pouring it into the decanter. Repugnance prevented her from taking more, for she was acting not from any real craving for drink, but from a certain exuberance of youthful naughtiness. How do you like that? Uh, St. Monica was naughty as a youth. And this youthful naughtiness is apt to erupt in playful behavior and is usually curbed when it appears in children by the authority of their elders. But by adding to that modest allowance, daily modest allowances increased for one who allows herself license in little things is ruined Little by little, for she had fallen at length in the habit of avidly quaffing near goblets full of wine by the time she was an adult. What snapped her out of it? A maid once called her a wine swiller, and it so humiliated her to be called that by a servant that she quit drinking. You know, the choice we have in life isn't between God and the devil. The choice is between God and me. I have to decide whether I'm going to submit myself to God's world or I want to be my own God. That battle is fought out for the believer, for the disciple, in the choices he and she makes between a disordered love and a rightly ordered love. Lust, gluttony, avarice, sloth, anger, jealousy, envy, and pride are all in some way a disordered love of things, others, or ourselves. That's really the way sin works. We love things in the wrong way. We love other people in the wrong way. Or we love ourselves to the exclusion of all others, including God. At the heart of Lent is our desire as disciples to bring order to these disordered parts of our life. St. Monica is a great saint and the patroness of worrying moms for 15 centuries now. And as you've heard before... Every saint has a past because every saint's been a sinner and every sinner can be a saint. But how do you start? Well, I'm going to dish the dirt for you here on Oro Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. So what is disordered love? St. Augustine says that's the nature of sin, that all sin is love that has just been misdirected. 
You know, one of the most famous Christian books of all times, other than the Bible, is St. Augustine's Confessions, and it's all about disordered love and salvation. The Confessions were an autobiography written by St. Augustine when he became Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. The reason he wrote the Confessions is that he wanted to explain his conversion to Christianity. See, he had been a heretic, a Manichaean. People knew he wasn't a believer. And they wanted to know who this guy is, who's now the Bishop of Hippo. So he decided to dish the dirt on himself and his family. What makes the book so powerful, it's the first example of real autobiography when someone lays out the struggle of their lives, and Augustine does it in excruciating detail. And so he doesn't hide embarrassing facts about his family, his past, the poor choices he made. In the Confessions, he reveals that his parents had a very unhappy marriage. His mom drank in the middle of the day. He was an unhappy child. He was prone to theft and dishonesty. He hated studies, although he's a brilliant guy, and he hated formal education. He became addicted to sex at an early age, abused food and alcohol, and enjoyed what we think of as pornography, but the whole Roman Empire was overrun with pornography. It was kind of like America today, hard to avoid. He studied offbeat philosophies and weird religions like Manichaeism that rationalized his misbehavior and still promised him life eternal. And uh, he was a single parent, and shamefully, he abandoned the woman um, and sent her back to Africa because he couldn't marry her. They were just of different social classes. You know, it's a different world that St. Augustine writes about, and we all live in our own culture and our own time. But you know, he's very thoughtful about sin in his life. And so he tells a story about one of the first sins that he committed that he remembers. And it's a sin that's a story about him running around with a group of his buddies, and they were bad companions, and they snuck into a farmer's orchard to steal pears. Here's what he said about that theft. O good God, creator of all things and more beautiful than all of them, those pears we stole did have a certain beauty because they were your creation, yours, O God, who are the highest good and the true good for me. Those pears were beautiful, but they were not what my miserable soul loved. I had plenty of better ones, and I plucked them only for the sake of stealing. For once I picked, I threw them away. I feasted on the sin, nothing else, and that I relished and enjoyed. Even if some morsel of the pears did enter my mouth, it was only the criminal act that lent it savor. Well, that's the nature of sin getting away with it. Sometimes it's a weakness, but sometimes it's just the satisfaction of the sin. It's the difference really between a sin based in our appetites and one of the spiritual sins, the sins of the flesh and the spiritual sins. Those are two of the three categories we're going to talk about today. Augustine had a great ability to reflect on his experience and see it for what it was, whether it's how his mother fell into drink or how he relished not the sweet taste of pears, but the sin of stealing them. During Lent, we as did St. Augustine and St. Monica before us, practice the penance and discipline of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Why these three practices? Because in Scripture and for St. Augustine, sin falls into three categories. 
Where does our understanding of sin come, this threefold understanding? Do we just make it up? I'm going to dish the dirt, so stay tuned. The gospel today from Matthew is about Jesus and the devil, and Lent is about learning about temptation and resistance to temptation. So here's a couple of questions. We know that Jesus was, after he's baptized, went into the desert for 40 days. Why 40 days? Well, in the Bible, 40 days or 40 years is always about a period of purification. In the story of Noah and the ark, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses led the people through the wilderness for 40 years. Elijah fled from Ahab and Jezebel for 40 days. So Jesus, like Noah, Moses, and Elijah before him, submitted himself to the test for 40 days. 40 is a symbolic number. So what are the three temptations offered by Satan? Why are they these three and not some others? What does it mean? So let's consider each of the temptations. The first temptation is for Jesus to use his power to serve himself. So here's what the devil says. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. Well, after 40 days without food, his natural desire is to satisfy his hunger. Satan tempts him to misuse his power for himself instead of the service of others. And we know how that's going to work out with Jesus because he tells us what the power he gives us is for. So Jesus quotes scripture to hold off the devil. So Jesus said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So the way to uh, fight the temptation to misuse power for your, to satisfy your appetites, turn to the Lord. Think about scripture, the second temptation. The second temptation is to perform a deed of power, levitation, in front of all of Jerusalem to show that he is of divine origin. So here's what the scripture says. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And here the devils quote scripture. He will command his angels concerning you and with their hands, they will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, again, it is written, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is where even the devil quotes scriptures comes from. So it's using scripture, but in the right way. You have to use scripture to learn how to love God better, not to rationalize your sin. You know, the, the devil was quoting Psalm 91, which ironically is a psalm of exorcism. It's about protection from evil. If you get a chance, read Psalm 91 as part of your prayer. This is how it starts. You who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shade of the Almighty, say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will rescue you from the fowler's snare and from the destroying plague. He will shelter you with his pinions, and under his wings you may take refuge. His faithfulness is a protecting shield. You know, at his crucifixion, Jesus would be tempted by those crowding around his cross. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And that's all in all of the stories. So the second temptation is to levitate. So everybody sees that he is supernatural. But 
That's not how Jesus uses his power, is it? I mean, he multiplies the loaves and fishes to feed people. He heals people. He does what God does. Even when he walks on the water, it's because God himself at the beginning uh, was over the waters of chaos. And so to ask him to come down from the cross, to use the, the, the power that he's given, is to miss the point of the incarnation uh, because he was supposed to submit to his death, the third temptation. The third temptation was to commit idolatry to achieve a good end. So here's what the devil said. The devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence. And he said to them, all these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. And once again, Jesus answers with scripture. Jesus said to him, get away, Satan. It's written, the Lord your God shall you worship and him alone shall you serve. You know, remember the mission of the Messiah is to save the world. But all of this is about a shortcut, whether it's using your power to overawe people instead of drawing people to God, or it's uh, using bad things like uh, worship of evil, an evil means to achieve a good end. All of these are the things that Jesus did not choose because he wanted to submit himself to the, to the uh, will of God. So the idea of using armies to conquer people, this is not God's way. So the threefold sins that Jesus are tempted by is something about his appetites, food, something about a spiritual sin, about levitation, and then something about taking a shortcut to achieve the end his own way, not God's way. That is pride, to seek to serve in autonomy from God separated from God's will. So where does all this stuff come from anyway? So where does all this stuff come from? Well, you already know the answer from the Old Testament. Lent begins in the Garden of Eden. That was the first reading about Adam and Eve. And you know it's gonna end in the Garden of Gethsemane on Good Friday, right? And so let's talk about that story. Lent begins in paradise. Paradise comes from a Greek word, paradesos, which is, uh, comes from an old Iranian word. That's the Persians. It's called Old Avistan. And the word described an enclosed park or garden. That's why we call it the Garden of Eden. Lent begins and ends in a garden where Adam and Eve are tempted by the servant and Jesus is tempted at the end also by how it is that he avoids his fate. Remember what he says? Well, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass by me. But your will, not mine, be done. So keep that in mind as we talk about this story. So this is the temptations of Eve that she receives from the serpent. How she is tempted, not in what the serpent says, but how she feels about the serpent's suggestion that she eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also so gave some to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. Self-consciousness. So now think about that. Parse it out. 
So the woman saw that the tree was, number one, good for food, tempted by appetite. And number two, a delight to the eyes, a spiritual temptation, pleasure, the, the interior experience. And that number three, it was desirable to make one wise, because that was the temptation, that she would be as a god. See, and that's autonomy from God. That's the very nature of pride. And so, yes, it's, it's in Genesis 3, those three temptations. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see the three temptations that Jesus undergoes as about appetite, um, uh, spirit, spiritual sin, to do things the easy way, and then do it separate from God's will, which is pride. But it isn't just the book of Genesis, because this is in early Christianity. If you go and read the first letter of John, chapter 2, starting at verse 16, he describes this threefold disordering of love that comes out of Genesis, is part of the story in Matthew, and here's what he says, John in chapter 2, verse, first John, the letter. For all that is in the world, one, the lust of the flesh, and two, the lust of the eyes, and three, the pride of life. I put one, two, three in there. For it says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Lust of the flesh, appetite. Lust of the eyes, spiritual sins. And then the pride of life, living uh, separately from God as if uh, you owe nothing to God. You're an autonomous creature, which is how we kind of think about it now in our culture. St. Augustine's description of disordered love is based on this description of sin that first comes to us from the book of Genesis, is explained more in the first letter of John, and is expressed in the gospel in the three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I thought there were seven uh, capital sins. Well, here, think about this. Later Christian monastic writers would also talk about the seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, avarice, sloth, anger, jealousy, envy, and pride. I know what you're thinking. You mean we went from three to seven sins, but not so fast. You see, if you look at those seven sins, they're organized into three categories. And that's how the monks did it too. The sins of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, as John would say, or Eve, that it was, it was uh, good to eat. And so lust, sexual lust, gluttony, avarice, and sloth. And then the, the second part is the spiritual sins. That's the lust of the eyes. They're not an appetite, but the appeal to our minds. That would be jealousy, envy, and anger. Those are um, uh, the part, parts of, the, uh, of the, uh, the deadly sins. And then the pride of life, well, it's still pride, the deadliest sin, the root of all sin. If you're so proud and so autonomous, you won't listen to God. Essentially, you're underwater. And that's the sin, that's the choice of Satan. That's why I say in this story, the choice isn't between Jesus and Satan. Uh, the choice is between Jesus and me, separate from God. That's at the root of sin. The human conversation about sin has been going on for over, well over 3,000 years. It's pretty much runs through all of human culture. 
reduced to its simplest form according to St. Augustine, and I think good sense. Sin is a disordered way of loving things, people, and ourselves absent from God. So, you know, what to do? More in a moment. You know, we learn about sin a lot of different ways. A disorder is part of kind of who we are. When you're born, you think you're the center of reality because your mom and dad take care of all your needs. And it takes a while to grow out of all of that. But we need to clean up our lives. We need to learn how to bring order out of the disorder of our lives. St. Augustine talked about it. Good parenting can do a lot to set a child on the right way. But Lent has its own remedy. Remember, it's the threefold sin, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And so what are the three things we're supposed to do in Lent? You're right on it. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, giving to the poor, giving to charity, especially those who can't pay you back. Now think about it. Lust of the flesh, about disordered appetite. When we fast, we learn to say no to our appetites and we combat our tendency to misuse things. And so fasting starts with what we put in our mouth. Maybe we get some control of what comes out of our mouths. And then the second part, which is disordered love of other people, which is the lust of the eyes, envy, jealousy, anger. Well, when you give to charity, you learn to order love rightly. Almsgiving helps us in a very basic sense to orient ourselves to the love of others, especially those who can't pay us back. That way it's not a quid pro quo, an exchange. We're actually just loving other people as another person. And so if we can do that, maybe we can bring into order the love in our marriages, our families, and friendships and workplace. And then finally, remember pride of life. When we pray, we worship rightly in order the relationship between us and God. And so think of the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, you are God, I am not. And the prayer that Jesus teaches us is about right ordering relationship between us and God, that we worship God, although he doesn't need our worship, we need to worship God. But in worshiping God, in praying, then God provides for us. We see the gifts that he's giving. It's like what St. Augustine said. The pear was beautiful. I love the pear. It was great, but I love stealing the pear. It wasn't because it was beautiful or it tasted good. When you learn to pray, you learn to love things. You, you learn how to love things as God intends them to be loved. Adam had three temptations, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. I don't want to leave Eve out of that. And Adam and Eve failed. Jesus triumphed in his threefold temptations where Adam and Eve failed. That's why we think of him as the new Adam, as he's described. But the catechism teaches us, the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches us, by the solemn 40 days of Lent, the church and each of us individually unites ourselves to the mystery of Jesus in the desert and his resistance to temptations. St. Paul says, put on Christ. We don't imitate other disordered people. We imitate the one person who can teach us how to be a human being, Jesus. And we started Lent uh, resisting temptation. 
You know, it's a beautiful and powerful way to live the Lenten season. The older I get, the more I love Lent. The cross is where Jesus completely overcomes these three temptations because he is going to the cross and he is going to suffer. And so that is not about feeding his appetites. He'll feel pain and rejection. And don't forget, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Absolute abandonment by God. But you know, he was ready for the challenge. Lent's a time of preparation for us also, that we might, when the time comes, be ready for the challenge. I hope you have a wonderful and a beautiful Lent. This has been another episode of Oral Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. And if you haven't got a copy of the book on salvation by Dr. Michael Barber, stop by the front office or just call the office on Monday and ask for a copy. Or you can tune in to Formed and you can watch him talk about uh, uh, salvation. It's really worthwhile to do that during Lent. So God bless you and I hope you have a beautiful Lent.